Hey, it's Mercedes, and you're listening to the West Block Podcast. This week on the West Block, who knew what, when, about the allegations against former Chief of the Defense Staff, General Jonathan Vance. The only thing I ever wanted the minister to do was his job. Explosive testimony about Defense Minister Harjit Sajjan. Any allegations or any information that were brought forward was always quickly and then taken to the appropriate authorities. And what did the Prime Minister's office know? Allegations of genocide and the forced labor in Xinjiang are the lies of the century. The Chinese ambassador calls it a lie, but we'll speak to a member of Canada's Uyghur community about what's really going on in China. Questions continue to swirl about the allegations of sexual misconduct in the military and what the government is doing to fix the problem. Last Friday, the Prime Minister was asked if the government should set up an independent office of an inspector general to investigate these kinds of complaints. Uh, the minister has committed to moving forward on establishing uh, a uh, more independent external process uh, to move forward uh, so that we can truly demonstrate our commitment uh, to everyone who chooses to serve Canada, uh, that they will be supported and protected uh, in uh, issues like this. Joining me now to discuss whether there should be a public inquiry and if the opposition still has confidence in the Minister of National Defence, Leader of the NDP, Jagmeet Singh, thank you so much for joining us, Mr. Singh. I'll start by asking you, after what you heard this past week at the committee, do you have confidence in Harjit Sajjan as the Minister of National Defence? I have serious concerns, and this doesn't stop at the minister. This goes all the way to Justin Trudeau. What we're seeing is really an erosion of the trust that uh, Canadians have, but particularly that the armed forces, the people that serve our country have, uh, they need to be safe. They need to know that decisions are made so that they are kept safe and that they can bring forward concerns. All of these things are in question. And finally, there seems to be a pattern here where the Liberal government as a whole continues to make bad decisions with respect to vetting, whether it's the Governor General, when there was clear allegations of improper conduct in the past with staff in terms of harassment, and then the allegations and how long they continued for at Rideau Hall. Now with the military and this Liberal government's inability to vet out a problem and, and respond to problems, both of those are deep concerns. Do you think that Minister Sajjan should have looked at the evidence that Gary Walborn says he was trying to hand him? If you were the Prime Minister and this was your Minister of Defence, what would your expectation be? That there's follow-up. There's no way something as astounding and as, as serious as that, that testimony was just shocking, that evidence was brought forward and presented and, and there seemed to be an unwillingness to do anything with it. Uh, so far from what we know, it looks like there was this case of the hot potato. No one wanted to look at the evidence when that's what everyone should be doing, trying to get to the bottom of this, making sure that people are safe, making sure allegations are pursued or investigated. That is the job to hold the, the safety of the people who serve to the highest importance and make sure any allegations are investigated and taken seriously. That does not look like the, uh, either the Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, or the Defence Minister did that. Now, the Liberals say that they passed this on to the appropriate authorities, Privy Council Office, to investigate. They didn't do anything with it. They said they couldn't find any evidence to look into it. Do you think that somebody should have told the Prime Minister? Uh, absolutely. At the end of the day, the, the Prime Minister is responsible to make sure the leadership ends uh, with him, in this case. 
and, and Justin Trudeau should have got to the bottom of this. Uh, these allegations should have been pursued. There seems to be massive breakdown here, but there's no way the ombudsman bringing forward really clear uh, testimony that there was evidence that was raised and that there was nothing done. Uh, there has been a series of, of failures here, but really at the end of the day, the responsibility lies at the top. Uh, Justin Trudeau needs to make sure any of these allegations are being followed up, that there's the right mechanisms in place. I don't accept that it that it stops with the minister, it goes right to the top. And, and Justin Trudeau has to be responsible for making sure uh, any allegation of harassment is followed up on, people are kept safe, and that people feel comfortable bringing forward their concerns. Uh, big news for the government, two weeks in a row on getting AstraZeneca approved and then the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. More vaccines coming after that initially stalled rollout. You had said that your party would not go to an election during a pandemic. Um, what are you thinking in terms of election timing here? Does the influx of vaccines change your willingness on calling a spring election? My focus remains the same. I want to see everyone in our country vaccinated. That has to be the priority. People are worried. They've been in a lockdown and in the pandemic for so long now. Uh, we're, we're over a year and people want to know that there's a, there's, there's a way out. And that light at the end of the tunnel is the vaccine and that's our focus. It has to be getting everyone vaccinated. I don't believe it's the right thing for Justin Trudeau to be angling for or strategizing around an election. The sole focus we have to be uh, giving all of our attention to is getting everyone vaccinated. And that's what I'm going to focus on. I've made the commitment while we're fighting this pandemic, our goal will be to get everyone vaccinated, not to try to find a way to go to an election. I hope Justin Trudeau does the same and focuses on getting everyone vaccinated first. Jagmeet Singh, NDP leader, thank you very much for joining us today, sir. Thank you very much. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Reached into my pocket to show him the evidence I was holding and he pushed back from the table, said no. And I don't think we exchanged another word. I did offer to shake his hand at the end of the meeting and said, please, do get back to me with some advice to tell me what I should do with it. That was former military ombudsman Gary Walborn when he says he tried to hand the defense minister, Harjit Sajjan, proof of the allegations of alleged sexual misconduct by then chief of the defense staff, General Jonathan Vance. Members of the defense committee are now calling to expand their probe into the alleged sexual misconduct in the armed forces. Today, I'm joined by members of that committee, NDP MP Randall Garrison, conservative MP Leona Olislav, who served in the armed forces and 31-year military veteran Liberal MP Karen McCrimmon. Thank you all for joining us today. Uh, Karen, I'd like to start with you. You're here representing the government on the show today. Uh, we're hearing from the former ombudsman that the minister physically pushed himself back from the table, put his hands up and said no when he tried to hand him evidence of alleged sexual misconduct against General Vance. The minister appears not to have told the prime minister. Uh, the minister has said he disagrees with elements of Mr. Walborn's testimony, but he hasn't said what. I think a lot of folks at this are, are, are looking at this and they're wondering, you know, is this the standard that we should expect from a minister of the crown to refuse to look at evidence, to not call the prime minister, to not take any action personally? Well, I, I think that's an incorrect assessment of the situation. I think the minister did take action and you can tell that he did because the, even the ombudsman said that the, the PCO, the Privy Council office, called him the very next day. And then, yes, two days later, one of the minister staff called him again to make sure that he was in contact with the PCO. It's the right, it was the right thing to do. Now, the, the uh, ombudsman brought a, a 
confidential and unactionable issue to the minister. And the minister said, I shouldn't be seeing this. This is not who you should not be talking to. You should be talking to the Sexual Misconduct Response Centre or you should be talking to the Provo Marshal. But he did ask the PV, PCO to go and look into it and see what was behind these, this, this information that the ombudsman wanted to get him. Because, you know, the minister can't do things without solid evidence. Just well, but, but he didn't even look at the evidence. So how would he have known whether or not it was solid? He sent it to he sent it to the PCO and said to the PCO, you go and do a look at it, this evidence. Tell me if it's what if there's something here I can do. But the Privy Council office, which is uh, an independent, non-political, outside the chain of command organization who do this all the time. It's their job to do this for governor and council appointments. They looked at it and said, I'm sorry, there's nothing here that's actionable. So. But the minister didn't just drop it. He followed up and had his staff follow up to make sure that the PCO was engaged on the file. Leona, the PCO is the investigating authority for governor and council appointments, of which the CDS is one. Why is it that your party feels the minister didn't do enough if he did report it to the PCO? Well, in this case, it's actually very different because the chief of the defense staff under the National Defense Act has a very different accountability. He is directly reporting to the Minister of National Defense. The Minister of National Defense absolutely has the responsibility, the authority, and the duty to take action. He doesn't need actionable evidence. Simply by virtue of being the Minister of National Defense, he can take action, investigate, and that is exactly what he should have done. It's his sworn oath to do so, and he chose to turn a blind eye. Randall? Well, let's look at this from the point of view of those who have complaints to make. And what's clear is that there was no effective action. So it's a little bit tiresome to hear people saying, oh, you knocked on the wrong door, you used the wrong channels. Uh, the Minister of Defense clearly is the person the Chief of Defense Staff uh, reports to. And if we're going to have any confidence that we'll ever deal with the problem of sexual misconduct in the military, people serving have to have confidence that at the highest levels, people understand the problem and take it seriously. Unfortunately, with the recent uh, allegations we've had against two chiefs of defense staff, uh, we've got a lot of work to do to restore that confidence. Uh, Karen, the, the Prime Minister's office, the Globe and Mail is reporting, was in fact told about these allegations. Uh, Privy Council office was. Minister Sajjan knew. When the decision was made to extend John Vance's term to make him the longest-serving chief of the defence staff, an unusually long time, should somebody have raised this with the Prime Minister at that time? Not necessarily an investigation, but just said, hey, you should know an allegation was made. The Privy Council office knows how to deal with these things. That's what we hire them for. They're used to dealing with very sensitive information. But you cannot, as a, as a senior officer, go off and start doing things and ordering investigations. Like, I, as a squadron commander, I knew I had the power to call a summary investigation, but I also knew that that power was limited, and I couldn't use it for a code of service discipline, and I couldn't use it for a criminal matter. But, and I think it's the same goes with... Uh, the further up the chain you go. So he used the mechanisms that were available to him, and that was to send it to the PCO for them to do an investigation. They did an invest. They looked into the matter, and they said there's nothing here that we can use. 
And, and we don't really know how they determined that because we have asked them and they won't answer us on how that decision was made, what policies they use, what they determined. It's kind of a black hole right now. But Leona, I know the committee that all three of you sit on are looking into this. You're meeting tomorrow. You want to see this probe expanded. Who else do you want to call? Are you going to call John Vance? Are you going to call minister, uh, members of the prime minister's staff? Uh, who else is it that you feel you need to hear from at this point? Well, that certainly is the decision uh, of the committee, but we believe that the investigation needs to be much broader. It needs to be much more thorough. We have a responsibility not only to service members, but to Canadians to ensure that the honour and integrity of the Canadian forces and the values for which it and Canada stands are protected. Our job as parliamentarians is to ensure that we do the best to make sure that that happens. So yes, we need to hear from anyone that was involved, but most importantly, we need to understand why the minister chose not to act and if this in fact is the prime minister's standard to which he holds ministers. It was the authority and the responsibility of the minister. The buck stops with him. He chose to turn a blind eye, leaving men and women in uniform in doubt as to whether or not we can achieve a harassment-free workplace and whether or not those who were complicit and have allegations against them will be held accountable. Randall, who is it you think the committee needs to hear from to get to the bottom of this? Well, I, I think, you know, officially we're done with this study, so the committee has to uh, expand the study uh, for two reasons. One, we now have the current chief of defense staff who has been suspended while under investigation. So I'd like the minister to come back and tell me why this didn't happen in 2018. It looks like a similar circumstance, unfortunately. And then, of course, the minister sat in front of us and told us that he was as surprised as anyone to learn of allegations uh, in 2021, when it's now very clear after the testimony of the military ombudsman that he knew about allegations in 2018. So I think the minister has a responsibility to come back and explain the discrepancy between his previous testimony and that of the military ombudsman. Uh, Karen, do you think that the minister needs to come back so he can explain? He said he disagrees with elements of the testimony, but we don't know what those are. Yeah, like a, a, there's no trouble. I don't think there's any trouble with having the minister come back to tell you the truth. And I just need to correct a statement. The current CDS was not suspended. He stepped aside voluntarily. So there was some, obviously, some evidence or something that was actionable that made him decide to step aside voluntarily. So, but it's all about making sure the process is right. And if you look at the testimony we've had at the last two weeks in the committee, we have had brilliant ideas about how we go out about fixing this for the people of the Canadian forces. I think there's still a lot of questions in accountability in all this. And there's questions, as, as you raised, Karen, for women who are coming forward now, and, and we're hearing from them, who are prepared, that they want to know there is going to be a mechanism in place, a system in place, that they can trust will not see them punished for coming forward and that will actually be independently investigated. Lots more to talk about here. It's all the time we have for today. So thank you very much to our three MPs from the National Defence Committee for joining us. Last week, the Chinese ambassador to Canada held a rare press conference where he flatly denied evidence of human rights abuses occurring in Xinjiang province in China. Allegations of genocide and forced labor in Xinjiang are the lies of the century. 
This is contrary to what human rights groups and journalists have reported is happening. And Prime Minister Justin Trudeau warned about possible consequences from the international community over China's treatment of the Uyghurs, although his cabinet abstained from the vote in which the Canadian Parliament proclaimed it to be a genocide. Joining me now is the Executive Director of the Uyghur Rights Advocacy Project, Mehmet Torti. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us, Mehmet. I, I know that your family has a personal connection to this. Um, can you tell us what your reaction was when you heard the ambassador's comments, when he called uh, the allegations of human rights abuses the lie of the century? Uh, thank you. Uh, first of all, uh, we have seen a nervousness from the top officials from the Chinese government, including uh, the Chinese ambassador to Canada, and they are trying to defend the indefensible. And when they do that, they are trying to spread another lies. And I understand that uh, they, are, they failed miserably and they are unsuccessful to defend this, their systematic crime with distortion. The issue is the whole secrecy of crime against humanity and Uyghur genocide they committed against Uyghurs and other Turkic people in concentration camps behind the iron walls, watchtowers, and the barbed wires are tumbling one after another. And they orchestrated lies in defending these heinous crimes are being unraveled one by one by their own internal documents, government statistics, and the testimonies of witnesses and expert uh, revelations. And so Chinese government now starts another campaign by producing fake uh, videos from the Uyghurs in compulsion. And they're trying to send the message that everything is okay for Uyghurs in East Turkestan or what they call it Xinjiang Uyghur Autonomous Region. But things are not okay. And uh, since October 23rd, 2016, I cannot communicate with my mother and the 37 of, of my other relatives and the tens of thousands of Uyghurs living abroad. They are holding their family photos, their photos of their parents, siblings, close relatives. They are asking the simple questions from the Chinese authorities. Where are my families? And I'm asking that question, where is my mother? Where are my family members? And so far, Chinese government failed to give any answer. Even we cannot have any means of communication with our parents or other relatives. And if everything is okay, why in this modern technology age, modern age of communication, we cannot just make a phone call to our loved ones and a mother? Well, and, and when you were preparing to speak about this publicly, you received a direct message on Twitter about your mother. Tell me what that said. Yeah, it was just three hours uh, three hour before my appearance uh, to testify before the Human Rights Subcommittee on July 20th, 2020. And I have received a very uh, chilling message, very short and a precise message from one a gentleman or a lady uh, living in somewhere in Sichuan. It is very far from my hometown. And I said, your F mother is dead. And I read this message in two ways. One is probably they killed my mother. And the second way is probably it is the threatening message for me just to stop me to go ahead to testify before the Human Rights Subcommittee. Now they uh, increase that pressure by abducting the family members of the Uyghur activists and 
forcing them to send a message to their relatives abroad and stop protesting against China. And sometimes public security bureau directly making a phone call to Canadian citizens of Uyghur origin and interfering their daily life, interfering their freedoms. What would you like to see Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and his government do? And uh, I would like to urge our prime minister, and I understand that uh, he's thinking uh, the government of Canada has a responsibility, and that, that responsibility, responsibility should not be one-dimensional. Uh, that responsibility should include uh, the, our uh, founding principles and the, our international obligation. We have to uphold that. If there is a genocide taking place, as parliament uh, voted yes, and there is no doubt about that. And so our government, instead of abstaining from voting, we should stand up and we should do something about uh, to uh, bring those uh, responsible officials to justice. At the same time, we should do something about to stop this Chinese madness if we do not recognize how we can approach to other countries. And a second message to, my, uh, to our prime minister is, Canadian market is uh, full of uh, Uyghur forced labor tainted products from uh, cotton to tomato to solar panels. And for example, just cotton, the one third of global supply of uh, cotton products coming out of the area. And the one third almost, the ketchup or a tomato related products are coming out of the area. Almost 42% of global supply of polysilicon that is being used for a solar panel are coming out of the area. These are the huge numbers. And unfortunately, our market is tainted with the Uyghur forced labor products. And so we, this is our moral obligation. And we don't have any piece of legislation to address that. And uh, our government and our parliament should step up to introduce legislation and stop, clean up our market. Because otherwise, as a Canadians, we are indirectly, without knowing, or directly, by knowing now, contributing Chinese uh, crime of genocide and the crime against humanity by purchasing those products and uh, sending our pocket money to China. This is unacceptable. Thank you for joining us and our thoughts are with you and with your family. Thank you. That's all for this week's edition of the West Block Podcast. I'm Mercedes Stevenson and I'll be back here next week with the latest from Parliament Hill.